downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. Hey, I'm Dr. Lisa and I give a shit. I do. I care about you. Whatever's going on in your life, I do. Get in touch with me anytime. I'm here for you, okay? Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm very, I really had a great time yesterday. That whole Michael Cohen thing just really made me feel good. I, the heart, the, the, I think the problem for me is, is that I wind up disassociating it from reality and just see it as like a, you know, a book or, a, you know, a story. It's a great story, but it's actually affecting people's lives, uh, Anyway, you got to get you got to enjoy life when you can. So anyway, thanks for listening. Let me tell you about our mobile apps, okay? Because I know you want to listen to like you have your phone on you all the time and I know you want to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn all the time. So you go to radiofreebrooklyn.org/iphone or radiofreebrooklyn.org/android and then you can become one of us, one of the crazy people of Radio Free Brush Bushwick that's involved with every every kind of music and and every kind of culture and everything. I think we even have a show now that's about getting a job, believe it or not, you know, where they're actually trying to get people jobs on the show or something. So anyway, I am now looking at my guest, Ken Johnson. Hi, Ken. Uh, hi, Dr. Lisa. <laughs> he called me Dr. Lisa. So anyway, I am really... Um, so cool that we have Ken Johnson on today, right, Ken Johnson? <laughs> I well, if you, if you say so, I do, All I right, do, yeah. and this is my show. Look, I'm in control now, Ken. Do I seem more in control, like right now, than before when we were just chatting? Do I? Do you, you seem do you a feel little, like I'm taking charge now? You seem a little manic. A little manic. Yeah, it's which fr- is probably appropriate. Well, under you know, the circumstances, I've got to I've got to run this thing. Um, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how, Ken. I really don't. I really don't. Because I've guests like you. Look at all these wires. Jesus. I know. It doesn't look like I would know more than I do. Like technically, you think I know what I'm doing technically, right? Just by looking at it. Yeah, I hope so. Because there's a board and all this stuff. But you don't really. Anyway, that's a whole other story. So I want to talk about Ken. Let's see if we can make him self. Are you feeling self-conscious now? Yes. Okay. So here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say about Ken. All right. Okay, so Ken Johnson, um, great guy, very, very smart, funny, all that stuff. Okay, so we got that out of the way. We like Ken for sure. And everyone at Radio Free Brooklyn, a lot of people know Ken, love Ken. So the thing, and I just found out that Ken's daughter got married on on December 11th, right? That's true. Yeah, so shout out to her. And the wedding sounded great, by the way. It sounded really meaningful. I'm here because I want to talk to Ken about his work, um, Ball and Cone. Now, it's really hard to describe Ball and Cone, not because it's simple and complex at the same time. It's basically, I'm going to say, a cartoon about two characters that you anthropomorphize. One is literally um, a round circle ball, and the other is a cone. And they go through life. And um, they have adventures. And until recently, they didn't say anything. And you could really learn some, like one of my favorite ones that's stuck in my head today is the two of them at like a crossroads. And one says life and one says death. 
I don't know. I love that one. Oh, the sign. Got stuck yeah. in my head. Got stuck <laughs> in my head. And then, you know, anyway, I'm going to let Ken, I'm going to let Ken tell you about that. Before we get on to Ken, I got to tell you like a little bit about Ken because uh, he has, he has a very impressive background. So, right, Ken. Uh, well, he went to Brown. So that's a big deal, right? You went to Brown. Brown is like such a cool university, right? And then he went to State University in Al- SUNY in Albany, studied he has a master's degree in studio art with a concentration in painting. He is a very, very well-known and respected um, journalist in the field of art. He has written it for like uh, every important publication there is. He also wrote a book uh, called Are You Experienced? How Psychedelic Consciousness Transformed Modern Art. And that was published in June 2011. Okay, so that's the background of Ken. And now I'm going to have Ken describe Ball and Cone. And by the way, folks, as I like to say, do your own fucking research, okay? <laughs> so I posted everything that you, uh, you know, can I posted a picture. I posted a lot of stuff on my Instagram, Dr. Lisa Levy SP, and my Facebook page. So you can, there's all the links there and stuff like that. So you should go and look, look it up. But um, I'm going to, ha- so Ken, go ahead. Tell us about, describe Ball and Cone in, 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 in the way that you can in broad strokes, because it's complex. Oh, well, yeah, like you said, they're, they're uh, two geometric figures. They each have two legs and each has one R, one eye. So they're, but they go around, they're, they're friends. They're non-gendered, so there's no uh, erotic relationship. Although friendship is, of course, erotic. But um, So they travel around, so there's not much interaction between them. It's more like they encounter uh, situations that usually have some sort of paradoxical effect, like, like a, a section, like a rectangle turns out to be a door. Mm-hmm. Where you thought at first it was a, like a plank, and then it's and then they go through the door. Or well, they're kind well, of. I mean, uh, well, they're kind of like stand-ins. They're anthropomorphized non-entities, almost sort of non-entities. Non-entities meaning like they're not. They're not. They're human but they're not male or female or any, they, they, they're sort of like, they're like the ultimate every man kind of. I, I think know. they, they, I sometimes think that they have uh, the sensibility of cats mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they're curious about things and they walk mm-hmm. around and, and uh, are try, are assessing how to interact in, with a given situation, which includes the way that drawings are framed so there includes some some ambiguity between two and three dimensions. So they're also conscious of that they're cartoons. They're self-aware. Well, that comes later mm-hmm. when well, they start talking about. Uh, well, this is we haven't we haven't talked about. So let's the book. yeah. Let me let me peop, let's. <laughs> I'll here's the deal. So Ken, how long have you been um, doing these cartoons? Like. I think it's been five years, four five years. Five years, and you've probably done thousands. thousands. Yeah. 
Actually, I had a question for you right away. On your Instagram, you only have 250. Do you edit them or did you? Oh. How How is that? Oh, yeah. That's an edited. Um, so yeah. why why did you edit it? Well, Instagram is a little less flexible than Tumblr. Like, you can't do sequences. And it has to appear, you know. I don't really know how to work. I mean, Instagram it, that well, well, here's what it seemed like. It seemed like that you were like, okay, I'm going to get rid of all the, because um, I was looking at the dates too. So it just looked like, oh, I'm going to get rid of, I'm only going to have like a year's worth or two years worth. Oh, I can't, honestly, can't I can't, I that. can't even remember. I stumped them already. All I know is that most people I say they don't do, most people I know don't do Tumblr and, and, uh, they say you should do Instagram. So finally, I capitulated, and and so late in the game, I got on Instagram. So anyway, um, which brings us to let me just tell you how to look them up while we're talking. Okay, so go to Instagram, and it's at ball underscore and spelled out underscore cone underscore, and the Tumblr is ball and cone all written out like that, all three words dot tumblr dot com. So, yeah, I mean, that was that was another thing, actually, Ken. I don't want to digress from your work, but I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, like, the promotion of, of it, I guess, is how I'm thinking about it, probably because I'm projecting onto that. Because lately it seems like Insta, like, it seems like getting your work, do you think about getting your work out there? Or is that something, like, you're really into making it, you have books, and you have, you're following. Well, I always figured I'd do books. Mm-hmm. out of it mm-hmm. and vaguely that there might be a gallery show mm-hmm. but really it became a relationship between to the audience or what i thought was the audience because i put one up every day and and there would be responses and on tumblr most of the people that seem to follow me i have no idea who they are but they're often kids from other countries Wow, really? I mean, it's a weird, I don't, a lot of people are interested, who are into comics, you know, comic nerd types. So do you have, like, relationships with them in the sense of, like, it's the same people commenting, or do you have a sense of who they are, any of them, or how many followers? Not really, but they seem to be mostly kids. Kids. Is that? Like, between 25 and 15. That's so funny. Um, And so on Instagram, it's different. It's the people who follow me are mostly from the art world mm-hmm. and it's a much smaller number oh is it how many followers because have... you have a pretty good amount on on um instagram it's like 1700 how many on tumblr uh like 8200 so that's so funny so that's an audience that you're reaching that you probably didn't even expect to reach right um so that was another thing that I noticed because your work is so good and so consistent. And one of the things about Ken's work, people, is that Ken is starting with a very pure and simple idea, an anthropomorphized cone and an anthropomorphized sphere. But the situations, the level of um, emotion and thinking and dilemmas and just everything that these two uh, really 
whatever ideas, beings, beings, they're like beings. They feel like beings. These two small beings are involved in, um, is endless. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the genius, brilliance of what, genius, that's genius, good. Yeah, like genius that. of what you do, Ken. <laughs> I mean, that, I think that's what people, um, I imagine that's a real common thread that really people respond to is just like one on its own is brilliant, you know, and then, but then as a series or as a body of work, it's like insane how how much you can possibly get out of them as personalities and thinking beings, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and I don't, I, I can't really explain it, but when I, so my process involves like, I do a lot of visualizing. Usually mm-hmm. I like, I like to have it fairly complete in my mind before I actually start drawing something. Mm-hmm. Although, although I'll, Sometimes I'll just start by doodling and then it'll come about. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> So you go right to the finished drawing, you mean? Or to a finished pencil and then a drawing? Yeah, pencil and then, and then a drawing. Uh-huh. And then onto the scanner and into Tumblr. Uh-huh. Um, so Tumblr's your medium, really, isn't it? I guess so. Yeah, it sounds like it's what you find the best way to work with what you're working with. Yeah, and I and I and it, and I I feel like it shouldn't matter, but it matters to me how many if some things get liked and others don't. Well, that's and what it, I was going to ask you about too, because see that. But I think I think it's like a comedian. You, you don't know if it's working unless people are laughing. Yeah. I so mean, so, and if I get like I put something up that I think is actually really interesting, and it gets like fourteen comments or likes, I think. I think well, they just don't. I don't know. I'm a little, um, but it's disappointing. It makes me sad. <laughs> well, you know, that's the whole thing. But about but I art. take that as information. You know, right? So I'm wondering, has it influenced the way that you um, work? Like, do you th- do, does? It, I mean, I'm going to say this clearly. Like, I think there's a really direct connection between you as a human and your personality and who you are through and through and this work. I think that, I mean, I think in a way you boiled down, I was saying this earlier to you, Ken, um, that, um, that you kind of boiled down the essence of like a lot of your ideas into something that people can digest. Well, when I do one, I was, that's entertaining. If I, if I'm, I'm always thinking like, what's funny. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to make something that's funny to me. Mm-hmm. And when I get a funny idea, which which is usually uh, involves some kind of paradox, mm-hmm. some kind of visual, and some just at some level conceptual paradox, makes me laugh a little bit. It makes mm-hmm. my mirth meter go like <laughs> that, you know. And then I'm then I feel like oh, I'm gonna I can work with this. So the funny thing is, some people say this, and is that. I'm not intending any other emotional effects, mm-hmm. but it seems to happen anyway. Hmm. Something a little more than just so you uh, just humor. You there's some sense of them that they have this. There's a pathos about it that they're caught in this world, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. like we all are. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I feel like yeah that their their sense of what they are in the world is like is like mine. Like that that, that it's, everything is puzzling to me. Right how how everything evolved this certain way. Yeah. Or I, yeah. Like, because nothing does really make sense if you think about it that hard. If you think about it really hard, a lot of things, I mean, the way society is structured for, for one, or why we decided that, uh, you know, why we, wear, why we wear clothes that are so specific and just, like, different well, weird things. Well, uh, yeah, so with Ball and Cone, you sort of, like, try to filter out that level of detail. Right. And so I don't know if, if, if there's like a, a universally comprehensible kind of cartoon that anybody from any culture would get. It's interesting that at, at Desert Island Comics mm-hmm. that Gabe there has been selling. That's the, a really f- good store on, um, on Metropolitan, right? In, in Williamsburg. Right. And the first volume of Bond Cone, which I did, Almost six years ago. Well, mm-hmm. whatever. Near the beginning, I he's been selling fairly regularly. Oh, that's wonderful. And he said, "Little kids like it because it it doesn't have words, but it has, but it has. But it's connect, but what's so and weird? And I thought that made me like happier than than anything. Could. See, that's so weird because see the thing that's so weird about it that is so weird because. Um, they're really complex and simple ideas. That's what's so weird about the cartoons is that. Do you know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Well, part of it is they're cute. The the whole issue of them being cute is is amusing to me. And uh, and, and um, also, you know, so cute is like you. A cute thing is a thing you want to take care of and mm-hmm. and sort of cherish or you know protect mm-hmm. so they immediately elicit i suppose psychologically from the reader that level that kind of care so funny <clears throat> see part of it is i think or this has been proven by neuroscientists that mm-hmm. the same structures in your brain that produce your your view or or what you see when you look at reality is the same as as when you're only purely imagining something wait say that again i want to think about that say it again Sorry. if you if you imagine uh, a situation like you're at the beach say mm-hmm. on a nice day mm-hmm. in your imagination a part of you takes that as actually being at the beach in your imagination yeah. yeah, but your fe- there are certain feelings that will be triggered by that, as if you were actually there. So when you are at the beach, yeah. So you're saying, or like, say like this: imagine some time when you were embarrassed. Okay. So I yeah. I made this a, actually a comic recently. Imagine a time when you were embarrassed, right? right? Mm-hmm. So how do you feel now? Thinking about it, embarrassed. Yeah. Right. Right, right. But it's only in your imagination. Why would you be embarrassed? <laughs> right. Well, that's another story. But yes. So, it has nothing to do with what you're embarrassed by. It's that that what you imagine has 
a, a degree of reality in your consciousness so that you react as if it were real. Right. And so in other words, like your consciousness in a certain way is almost more powerful than your actual life, than, than being in the moment, than, you, than, than your physical surroundings. Well, like 5% comes from outside through your five senses. Mm-hmm. That's a tiny bit of what goes oh, to produce really? consciousness. The rest is top down. It's oh. the brain like taking this these strands of just pure signals. Oh, really? That travel through your like from your ears and your eyes and your nose. They go into your brain and then they're mixed and synchronized. So- and then that produces somehow, nobody knows how, a subjective image of the world. Wow. So But in order to construct that image, the brain has to have already in place a lot of knowledge about the world. So how does So that- if you see a house, say mm-hmm. your brain says, Oh, I've seen houses before. So the brain is organizing all this information into a house shape. So if you grew up on like a different planet or something, your brain would adapt to that is also is that what you mean? Oh, that's in- well. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then, I mean, if you come from a different culture where all your experiences are not like here, uh-huh. then what you'll experience is a lot of confusion. You mean if you're in a different place? Yeah. Right. If you're in a foreign Country. land, yeah. And so the templates that have that were functional for your homeland are not working for this new place. Right. And are those formed when you're fairly young? They start. Yeah. They, what do you think about pre-verbal? I mean, um, a lot of stuff I believe, or what I've read is like done, like gets what, before you learn how to talk, I think a lot of things get really, um, that's when you really take in a lot. Do you, does well, I actually have a I have a granddaughter who's 16 months oh old. Oh my god. So, so I've given this Can you a, Open the door. Open the door. It's hot in here. I think we'll be okay. Thanks. So I've given this a lot of thought. Wow, you get to see a little kid, a baby? Wow. Yeah, it's remarkable. So what uh, So uh Well, well, this is not original with me, but uh Adam Gopnik has a sister who's whose last name is Gopnik. Now I forget her name, but, Mm -hmm. but she writes, she's like a psychologist and, and very, very widely known, but she wrote a book called the philosophical baby. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how babies are like little scientists. They're constantly, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, fairly soon they get used to what's regular. They may fight it, but, but regularity eventually overcomes their fantasies, the reality principle. And they like, and they like routine. It's kind of like I noticed, um, at a, but, but they, but already like this, this child has a sense of humor. Right. And part of that has to do with, I'm just rambling here now, but it has to do with like consciousness has a lot to do with starting to understand or to deal with counterfactuals. Like, Oh, like statements or representations that are actually not true of what's going on. So, so when you, so, so this, uh, her name name is B. 
Mm-hmm. So she's she's looking at me with this sly look, and she's biting on a banana that's actually a knitted yarn banana. <laughs> like, and I go, oh, you can't, you know. She's playing with. She was like a year old. She's playing with the idea of it's a banana. It's not a banana, or what's appropriate to do with a banana. What's appropriate to do with with a fake banana? That's so sophisticated, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all yeah. the after, after that's where all almost every all comedy comes out of that. So, so it's almost like I mean, our children. We 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 tend to think culturally that children aren't smart or educated or something, but they they probably have a lot of the same innate intelligence. Yeah. Right. So why are they? Oh, what inspires them to keep looking, trying to figure out things? Mm-hmm. They're they're. A part of it is like this problem solving. Uh, they need to solve. Humans have oh, to solve. because so- they have to figure it out. They have to figure things out. They have to solve problems. And so what makes people want to solve problems? It's because when you do solve a problem, it's deeply satisfying. Like, and the dopamine system floods you with pleasure. And, and you have this eureka feeling. And, and I think her name is Alison Gottnick. But mm-hmm. she says... For, ba- for explanation is like an orgasm. It's like, mm. so it puts everything into place. And not that all explanations are, are true. Mm-hmm. It's just that if the explanation like satisfies right. you, it's right. like, that's great. Mm-hmm. So humor is a little like that. Like mm-hmm. uh, if you get a joke, partly it's, it's a cognitive, right. you know, I get it. But mm-hmm. the mirth part is different. Because, so how, how do you say, explain, yeah. What do you, so mirth is, well, this is what, this is what my latest project is about. Yes, yes. Which is a comic book about Mm -hmm. humor. Well, I'll just, that's why I keep talking about I'll just give you guys some background. So anyway, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Hensworth. I've been following it for a long time. And I noticed that in his latest book, which just came out recently, um, he actually started using words that for the first time the uh, ball and cone had actual word balloons and started talking and their personalities are very similar to what you would imagine from knowing the characters. But it, it is really interesting. So now you're working on a book. Incidentally, one of, one of my followers, I forget whether it was Tumblr or Instagram said, posted a comment. Don't let them talk. Exclamation oh, that's point. so funny. And I felt very ambivalent about that. So yeah. what, yeah, so tell us, tell us how you got to, because you've done so much. So how, what do you, what, what's the talking about? And what's the next project? Well, in this book, mm-hmm. the one that you can get from Amazon, uh, yeah, they started talking like, like I felt like I'd run through every conceit, everything. I, my imagination for silent comics was just running on fumes. Do you, do you think also maybe you got a little more comfortable with them and you started getting to know them better and you know what they're going to, you kind of could picture them talking more. Do you, I mean, these are extensions of you. Do you feel like, well, yeah, I was leaving out a lot. Like, like you said, a lot of what I think about, and I was writing a book, trying to write a book about humor in contemporary art, which wasn't quite crystallizing. And then I thought I'll do a comic book about humor. Mm-hmm. 
I've got the characters. They can just talk about it, like uh, Socratic dialogues. And and they can and they, what they're doing doesn't have to, have to do with anything that they're talking about. So it runs along, not exactly parallel, but there are two levels. Right. They're just doing things. They're walking around. Uh, recently, they're throwing a ball back and forth. While, at the same time, while they're having this very abstract conversation about what exactly humor is, what why do we have a sense of humor? Why is a sense of humor a good thing? So it's yeah. it's interesting. It's kind of like the book that you're talking about doing. It's like it seems like your relationship with these characters is really a good vehicle for you to uh, ex- talk through, express yourself, yeah. right? And then it's kind of going to be more satisfying for you to take whatever it was that you wanted to do in your humor book your re- and put it and just do it that way because it's kind of like they've become kind of like you're a little bit like your mouth, mouthpiece in a way, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is hilarious, No, it's right? a way to talk to myself. So um, I think, you know, the, what's interesting in I is – is that there's a conversation it keeps going back and forth mm-hmm. and and I wasn't sure it's that's a hard thing to do when you're writing explanatory prose in a right. you know a scholarly volume right you have to right. Pre- so you can probably anyway. get a lot more ideas in there I'm going to um, remind people that they're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn don't you think it's a great idea which is the greatest radio station on the planet absolutely and uh so anyway, um, you should go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. You know, we're 501C and we have this great program. We're teaching teens how to make their own radio shows and then broadcasting them for free. We're just doing that because we are trying to do something for, for, our, for our people, for people. So go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate and uh, donate some money. Also, while we're at it, I'm going to remind you where to see Ken's work, Ball and Cone. So you can go to Instagram, Ball underline, so Ball underline the word and underline the word Cone under, I mean, it's underscore really. And then you can go to Tumblr where he posts, which is a much more in-depth look at his work. And we are hearing it's actually probably the best way to see Ken's work. And that's at ball and cone, all written out, dot tumblr.com. Okay, we did that, Ken. Uh, oh, you can get books at Desert yeah. Island Comics. Yeah, and who's your publisher? We wanted to, you oh, yeah, yeah, he's great. Well, this is, I, I, I had in mind wanting to do another Ball and Cone book, but wasn't really sure. I probably, I mean, the first one was self-published, and I thought I'd self-publish another one. And I know, I got to know Ryan Forster through some other connections. And he's, he's an interesting uh, young artist, and he, he, he's the publisher of Rat Star Press, which somebody <laughs> pointed out to me recently is a palindrome. Oh, interesting. Yes. Anyway, uh, and he suggested doing it as th- in the form of a book that measures six by four inches, but that would be fat. Oh, that's so funny. So this book is six by four inches, and it's it's like an inch thick. It's three hundred twenty three hundred twenty one pages uh, of metaphysical adventure. So um, I like that metaphysical adventure. See that that's yeah. I like that. Um, so 
Yeah, so Ryan had a lot to do with with how this came about. It's really, and um, and I, and I have to, and and it's and it was going to be cheap too, ten bucks. Yeah, it, uh, from Amazon. So it was a great. It was very interesting to me to get away from the this this sort of um, you know the prestige art world. Yeah, and not really think about you know what the competition for attention within that world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because I mean, folks, Ken was an extremely well-known critic and art critic. And, um, this is completely different from what you were doing before. Yeah. And is it a completely, di- or how do you feel? Or like, is it a different audience? Well, some of them, like- I mean, in some, there are some comics in which ball and cone, like go to the museum right. and, and yeah. look at different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, the idea, I mean, in a way, it's like their are innocent eyes just going into the museum, and then and then these, you know, a Duchamp sculpture or a or a Mondrian painting. Well, they, they you, sort of like what's a, what does that look like to beings like this? You know, there's one where you had an art opening that I thought was really funny because it captured like they look more like art than the actual art on the walls, the characters, oh, yeah, and sorry. like, but it gives you that feeling of how super. You know, just like it doesn't really matter what the, it just like it, the people there are there to show off. It's kind of like, it kind of felt like that more, like they seem to have more attention than the art. There was more. I never they, made that comment. You're never. thinking of somebody else. No, I'm not. I'll sh- <laughs> I interpreted it my way. Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so, um, what was I going to oh, say? Oh, yeah. And, and, uh. So I was talking to Ryan and he said, people say I need a logo. And, and I said, oh, that's a great idea for Ratstar Press. And uh, I said, let's make one. And he said, well, make a, a, a rat eating its own tail. So if you look on the publisher's page. Oh, yeah, page, I saw that. That, that was my. Uh, oh, that's so funny because I saw that image in here somewhere. And no, it's, it's on really- like the first page. Okay. Um, well, anyway, I, you know, they can't see it. You know, they have to get the book to see it. They have it. to get the book. Get the book so you can see it. But that's really funny. So we, you know, there was something we were, I wanted to, we, I noticed that like there's no, um, so none of, they seem to be asexual except in one frame where there were breasts. Do you know which frame, which picture I was talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that is, was a Southwest landscape. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> So this was my theory, and you tell me what you think, what the reality is. So my theory was that um, that sex is so complex, and it would, and emotions, and that maybe you didn't want to bring in like direct emotions and sex into what you are already doing, or what's your what? So what? That was what I was thinking, but what? What's the reality? What is it? What's the truth? I, you know, I, I really don't know. I. Uh... That the the one that you refer to, they're they're walking in a in a landscape, and and the mountains are in the form of breasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they're not breasts. It's, as so sexual. it's a joke in a way. It's a joke about the land or mountains being tits. You know, it's can I say that tits? Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, fuck <laughs> okay. you can say tits. Uh, but yeah, but I always I don't know sexual humor is. 
not very interesting to me. So you mean your focus is mo- maybe like because I'm so old? That no, I, I think don't have I, the same uh, interest that I might have had. Well, I think sexual humor, especially when you're talking about doing something visual, is so you know overdone or well worn. It's hard to make like something surprising. But what I'm hearing from you is that humor is really important to you in putting in doing this work, right? Humor. Yeah. So I could see how sex wouldn't necessarily lend itself to humor unless you were drawing like penises or something like that, or like where, unless it was very overtly sexual. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it wouldn't be, it would really be hard to communicate. Well, part of it is I just don't like sexual images in this when I'm thinking about ball and cone just don't come to mind really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause uh, they're probably really different parts of who you are. So maybe they're they're Maybe I'm thinking at a pre-sexual level as opposed to maybe. post-sexual. I also wonder, so you're a father, right? Yes. So um, do you think that maybe is there some part of you that draws on that? Like, Oh, well, see, see the, the, f- Bon Cone came about because when I was in graduate school in 1976, I made a painting of a little house with a cone and in the doorway, the open door, and indoors is a ball. Mm-hmm. Sort wow. of, sort of surrealistic, Magritte-like thing. But the cone and the ball had no feet, no appendages. They were just geometric oh. objects. Mm-hmm. So. Um, did I ever tell you this story? So, so know, anyway, it was. They it, haven't it, heard it. <laughs> I gave it. To, I gave it to friends for a wedding present, uh-huh. and it turned out that this was a guy I went to high school with, and so his son is Ryan Tricarton. Ah. So so Ryan grew up with this painting in his house, mm-hmm. and a Ryan, for those who don't know, is yeah, he's a famous major video artist. artist. Right. So uh, anyway, Ryan. Ryan appropriated the painting and traveled, went on his travels, and then the painting was lost. But what do you mean appropriated? He took it with him? Yeah. So he, he actually f- physically took it with him, like, to college? or? Well, no, this was after college. Oh, like when, as an art project? As part of his, he had this yeah. entourage of people. Oh, yeah. They traveled so around in a bus. Videos. He included it in an installation they right. did in L.A. Because he told me that it, it, it had a profound influence on him really growing up with this painting that's so funny so it is really interesting isn't it how i mean i haven't heard you talk about that before like i haven't thought about that how this is really appealing to children huh i guess that's yeah and i wonder what i mean i haven't you know maybe that and and when i think about art that i like most of what I i like would probably appeal to children really like uh jeff koons i don't know you know i mean you know i know there's a lot wrong with jeff koons but yeah i like his his early stuff yeah anyway uh, um no but you you know know, pop art i like the whole you know yeah uh, pop art it's very like lit intellectual it's intellectual it's like something that like you can think about it's very like but it's like really funny that um it appeals to children because it has 
is there something so universal about it? That's what's so interesting. And also what I thought was, what I thought was really weird is like, I thought, honestly, I thought that when I looked at your Instagram account, I thought, oh, you know, you must have like, you know, 10,000. I was surprised that you have less Instagram followers than I would have thought being somebody that people in the art world know and respect. And then you look at like, you know, people who are, you know, much less well-known or <coughs> less interesting in the art world who have like so many more followers. So I was wondering like about that, like if you were or weren't promoting it or if, do you think like, I mean, I'm just impressed by that your audience of children has really, really gets it and really loves it or is really drawn to it. And that really interests me. And what do you think the difference you know, I'm trying to like think like. Oh, well, I don't know how you how. I mean, I, I signed up for Instagram instantly. I had like 1,100 followers, right? Because they know, you know who you are or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or they yeah people because follow you. the the algorithms present to everybody mm -hmm. who goes on. Oh, you should know this person and right, that person. Right, 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 right. But after that, it was really slow. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know how. On Tumblr, you can get there. There are mechanisms for uh, uh, what do you call it for increasing your yeah. There's the you know if people follow you and they follow people follow your followers and your followers follow their followers and there's a this this chain of mm -hmm. of following. Mm -hmm. uh, that Tumblr allows that that Instagram actually doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I guess what <laughs> I was thinking about is I wonder, like there's so many people that I deal with on the station um, and, you know, so, just so many people, myself included, I guess, um, yeah, of course, that are so interested in promoting their work and you seem... Oh, do you, I care about promoting my work? I don't, well. You seem like you really like making the work. yeah. And um, I think also it sounds like you found a really great audience on Tumblr and that sounds really satisfying. And it's kind of nice what you said before about that you're not feeling that competitiveness, that it's hard not to feel competitiveness in the art world, I think. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Well, see, for most of my time in the art world, I was a critic. So maybe there was a little feeling of competition with other critics, but... Uh, well, there's always that. Yeah. But, you know, Instagram and, and the internet has changed so much of that anyway. Um, like, uh, I was going to, um, like, about what is, you know, like, I think what's really interesting, like, in your case, is that you seem to really have a dialogue with two audiences, Oh well, see, I know a lot. I know lots of artists who really have Love been, the work. been extremely yeah, supportive, and the, you know, I've gotten a, plenty of um, encouragement. Well, also and, the thing and is, it started with I sent the first couple of ball and cone. Oh, what I was going to say was ball and cone. The original ball and cone painting was stolen oh. and lost. So I thought I should make a new one and give them, you know, re to replace it. So I started making ball and cone drawings, but I, but it became ball and cone like right away. 
So, so that's how it came about. Uh, and that was... But my right. but but why ball and cone? I thought in the original painting, the cone is standing outside, the ball is inside. I had like six months before that, I had gotten married. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's that was young. I was like 23. My wife was 22. Wow, and, you're so young. And so... I, you know, there was in the back of my, in, you know, there's a lot of my mind thinking, mm-hmm. what have I got myself into, you know? So I thought, like, the cone is like me standing at the threshold, oh. still not feeling like he's all in yet. Oh, really? You know I mean? Like, yeah. it, 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 was a, it, was, it was like a, an ambivalence and anxiety about having gotten married. Did do you, that's so interesting. So it began as not just, they're not just anthropomorphic. They embody a certain feeling that, that, that I had then, but, but then, you know, 40 years later, it's a very different. Do you think it's like a coded way of communicating? Like, did you make a ball and cone partly because did you, you didn't want your wife to know, I mean, seriously, you wanted to express that feeling, but well, at the time, you don't want I had to put it out there publicly. It was only years later that I interpreted it that way. Ah. at the time, to me, it was just a, a you know a little bit of surrealist fun. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I made a lot. I was making a lot of other pictures involving uh, spheres and and other geometric mm. objects, but um, like it seems as if there is like kind of, you kind of, it's almost like you've made these characters that you have a way of talking to and then talking to them and like getting them to know what you want to express and then having them do that in a certain way. Well, sometimes it goes the other way. Like they express something and then sometime later I'll think, oh, I see what I was thinking about, but I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have some, have some they state changed? Of have experience. they changed? Has how has it affected like your life living with these? You live with them, right? You make one every day. I feel responsible to them. Do you? Know? Do you? So yeah. like, but how? Sometimes like, I think I can't imagine making another bond cone thing, but I feel like I can't abandon them. Really? Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. But have they? So have they changed you? Like, have they affected you over the five years you've been doing it? Well, like- well, part of it, after I quit writing for the Times, I wanted to write. I, mm-hmm. I still wanted to write something, but I didn't want to write in that way. And then when this idea of this kind of dialogue came to me in the, in the Bon Con thing, I started um, thinking about writing in that form, writing in the form of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And... Like I did that for for the show at Mimi Park's gal at Thomas mm-hmm. Park yes. Gallery. Yeah, I wrote little dialogues for each of the that was great. pieces in the show. This is a show I curated called Zentrified. But it seemed like a really you know a lot of philosophical writing is so convoluted and and if you distill it down to its basic mm-hmm. soundbite of whatever of these paragraphs mm-hmm. you can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's where the humor comes in because if you take it for what it is, the philosophical writing, it's very dense and, you know, but if you think it like what you're doing is sort of thinking it through to where it's almost funny, right? Yeah. And I thought mm-hmm. I'm going to write these dialogues without feeling obliged to be fair to any other 
philosopher or thinker or writer. I'm just going to write what I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, and, and put it in. And it, it in also, the, like, you don't really necessarily, what's so funny is what I was saying about it being so simple and so complex because the, I mean, you can take it on a lot of levels, but you can take it on a very, um, like a what you would imagine a child would in a very just instinctual way and get it. But you can also think about it a lot harder and think about the implications of it for human, for humanity. Right? Yeah. And in a way, this comic that I'm working on, I'm, I hope will kind of end on a kind of cosmic note. Mm. I like, so you have I like to think that, it's, gonna... that there's a big picture. I, I, I don't well, really know. I just have this intuitive feeling that I'd like it to. You well, know, what seems really get to the like end of the rainbow talking or something. to you about your work now, what's seeming really unique to me is that you're using the language of comics, but in a way that I think is, I mean, I don't know that much about comics, but I think it's, you know, very original. Like, I don't know of any comic like this myself. Do you? No. And um, so what, what you're kind of doing is explaining the world in a certain way or... Just it's it's like you're using the 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 language of comics to communicate very complex ideas that you have in a way that people I think you have some interest in entertaining. Well, oh, yeah. Right. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like you have a real interest in entertaining, I think. Yeah. If it's not entertaining, then. You know, who's going to look and, at it? And humor and being funny, but you yourself, um, although I do find you humorous and entertaining, like, I mean, I'm talking about the world of performers. Like, you, you wouldn't be the first, like, I you mean. You don't think I'm a funny guy? I do think you're a funny guy. <laughs> Absolutely, I think you're a funny guy. But I haven't seen you, like, have you ever thought about doing something that was more performative? No. Yeah, I just don't see you in that. I feel like this is really entertaining and you have a real desire to entertain, but you don't want to be an entertainer yourself as, as a, a performer, pers- as a performer. No, no, that's the beauty of, of being an artist or a writer is you're not, you're not out in front of people, but I'm not sure if everybody is that interested in entertaining through their work. Do do you like the thing as about, opposed to what? Well, like the thing about painting, you know, painting abstract, whatever the fuck they want to paint or I think a lot of art is very serious. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it has some, has some, something entertainment is not considered a very high value. No. uh, And it's also very, um, one of the things that bothers me personally about a lot of art is it's how opaque it is. It doesn't communicate. Right. Well, it depends on uh, a particularly informed kind of viewer. So, you know, some of it is arcane, but well-known within certain narrow circles. And that's, as a critic, no, but if you don't, I don't, you know, if you don't know anything, I'm talking about the general public. Like, I mean, one of my things is like art should be for the general public. So, or, or that's what I'm talking, that's the direction I'm talking about now. There's been lots of artists who are operating at the level of like Finnegan's Wake, you know, Mm -hmm. making something, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that is made for for unpacking in a very complicated layered right important and there's also way. something elitist about that right in a certain way well 
I mean, well, like what, what? I don't know. You know, if you listen to, I listen to sports talk radio when I'm in the car. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to the, to the view, the, the, the guys that, what do you this, what do you call them the announcer and the uh, the, the call in people the host oh, yeah uh, they go into detail about the about issues of say trades in baseball and or or uh, mm-hmm. basketball mm-hmm. or fo- fo- football it's like rocket science I mean mm-hmm. it's oh like, it can be I guess yeah. yeah I didn't know that I mean somebody walking mm-hmm. into that cold would have no idea it's mm-hmm. like like I if I went you know if I hear people talking about cricket critic I have cricket say I have no idea what they're talking about but in mm-hmm. ba- in ba- in the American sports I'm mm-hmm. like I I sort of get it mm-hmm. that's so but, funny because you know sports But I think the art world talks to itself in that way right. you know the people who care most about it they've already like internalized the basics of what it takes to to be an art and informed in the, and, in the, you know, and then, you know, they don't want to have to go over that over and over again. Right. So they want to assume. They want to go to the most, you know, but then there's people just want to enjoy the game. Yeah. And, and, and you, I mean, you can, there's a lot of flash at the, you know, at the armory fair, which is coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can be entertaining, but then it's exhausting. So uh, we have five minutes left. So what? What is your? Um, what's? What do you feel the about? Away. <laughs> no, well, well, I know we talked about a lot of things. Um, I do think that what's really interesting, though, is that your book is kind of like it's. I just really, you know what? I just really want you guys to see this book because. I have so many artists on the show and I often say I don't really want to talk about the work so much because people can't see the work and um, you can't see it, but there is like, but you really need to process it. You need to process this work. So I think you should go. uh, I have all the links on my, my Facebook page and on Instagram. So I think that's part of it. But I think what's really interesting is how you are, you have gone through the art world and you have like all that information, all that art history, all that, all that philosophy, all that stuff. And what you've done is found a uh, outlet or a way, a medium for it. And the medium is like a cartoon, which is like considered kind of the opposite of what art is, which is a very complex. Well, my first, my first ambition when I was in college was to be a New Yorker cartoonist. Oh, really? Yeah, I used to get, I subscribed to The New Yorker and I never read any of it. All I did was look at the cartoons. Oh, well. I didn't even so, know there was anything interesting so to there, read. In, in so the there is there, so you have those roots. And I made cartoons. And then, uh, um, have you? Some, some printmaking teacher I, said, uh, you know, I put up my, my cartoons. He said, well, these are charming, but they're not. You know, you've got a lot to learn other things. You know, so you can't just do that. So did that, like, would you have gone into cartoons if you hadn't heard that? No, I was pretty interested in art. In art. Generally. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, by then I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't a career track. It was just something I was playing I did. with. Yeah. So you've come back. To, well, I guess. So I've was, come back to that for ma- many, many years later. And, and so I think a better teacher would have said, these look like, because they were, they were little narrative cartoons with characters going on a journey, mm-hmm. something like that. And it was, they were funny, they were cute. Mm-hmm. And, and he could have said, these look like they have something to do with you. you know? Well, that's and, what a good the, art teacher would do, right? Yeah. He just said, <laughs> well, they're cartoons, you know, who gives a shit? So it's, this is an art. 
so he wasn't that dismissive, but he was no, dismissive, no, I and I and I wasn't, you know. Well, and you've they've seen me. All kinds of harm is done to 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 young impressionable people in when they go to college and art school and art yeah. school. But I mean, you know, that's a whole other topic. Well, but. also, I imagine like you paint well, and I think that um, that might have gotten a bigger response. Well, I wasn't. I, I didn't have any art background at that point. Oh, I was just. Yeah. Well, you're drawing. I mean, you can draw and paint well. So not then. Oh well. So but I could make funny cartoons. Tunes. I always feel like like if I get to a thing and it feels funny to me, then all the other pieces, even if I don't understand what's going on, I know that they're coherent. So, what kind of feedback do you get? Like, what do people say about your? You know, the people like you have a really strong following. I mean, I said you had 1,700 followers, but they're very, very engaged. You have hundreds, you know, you, you, you know, you well, get a know. strong response. I mean, so yeah. what, 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 what have you, what do you, what kind of takeaways have you gotten from having your work on out there? Oh, just, I can't say that, that I I, all I can say is, I guess the most most meaningful ha- were were the people who said to me, "I've never seen anything like that." Right. And so I just kept. So that was a funny thing to, like, in my life, the 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 the, the career I fell into happened only because I wrote some reviews and people said. We really, I, I really like the way you write mm-hmm. and we'll pay you for it mm-hmm. about art. Right. And it wasn't intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something I seem to be able to do, but nobody was knocking down my door to look at my the paintings, paintings, my right. fine art. <laughs> well, so. But uh, it, it also seems. We but only can have I say one more yes, thing about, please. we were talking about the sex uh, or the mm-hmm. non-gendered relationship between Ball and Cohn. I think secretly, I think the ball is feminine and the cone is masculine. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, And I think the ball is smarter and the cone is kind of like a follower. Interesting. The cone is kind of a doofus. So that's part of their relationship. But it's not a sexual relationship. They're friends and and companions. Mm -hmm. And that transcends, like, like, if they had a sexual romantic relationship, that would... That might. This is how I. This is my feeling about ah. the world in general. You know, about people. That 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 we we sort of don't we undervalue friends now. Mm, I agree. You know? I agree. Yeah. And especially in New York, where things are so competitive. But you know, it's. Uh, That's so interesting. And and, and uh, you know, romantic love is a, and and sex is is a whole different thing, and and often leads to despair and unhappiness.